listening to the PCAST. Each week we take you around Austin P, the athletics department, sometimes Clarksville, and occasionally the OVC to give you the full scope of what's unfolding around us. I am Colby Wilson. He is Dylan Schwartz. And by now you know the drill. We're going to talk, you're going to listen, and hopefully enjoy. Dylan, how are you doing? Doing well. A uh, couple of things in the wider sporting world. Uh, NCAA title game uh, Monday night. We were oh so close to actually getting one right, but Virginia... Pulled it out and defeated Texas Tech. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good game to watch and enjoy. It was. It was a really um, enjoyable game. <clears throat> I thought Texas Tech really should have won that. But again, Virginia's last three opponents in the tournament all should have won the games playing against Virginia. Um, but, you know, it was kind of a thing of destiny when they lose the 16 seed and then come to the national champions the year after. And I thought it was almost too obvious of a – title destined team so i just i'm like nah they, they'll eventually you know and then but they proved us wrong and uh congrats for their first national title and now on the back end of the week masters kicking off today as a matter of fact who do you have in the most prestigious golf tournament well i mean i, I would hope tiger i'm a huge tiger guy and he's missed about three short putts within 10 feet as we're recording this but if i had to uh pick a winner based just on Strictly golf, I would probably go with um, Francesco Molinari from the Italian. I, I think he – I watched a couple of his uh, matches at the match play, and he's just been getting good results and has always – seems to always be around there like Angel Cabrera was for that, like, 10-year stretch, just always contending at majors. I think I'll take Jordan Spieth. Not really overly confident in it. It just kind of seems – kind of seems like his year. Don't know why. Closer to home, baseball last week, despite some high-powered offensive performances, the Govs dropped two of three at Eastern Kentucky in Ohio Valley Conference playing game one. Five home runs in a career performance from Josh Fryer were more than enough for an 8-1 victory. Garrett Spain, John McDonald, Malcolm Tipler, Matt Jocelyn, and David Martinez homered, while Rye struck out eight in seven and two-thirds innings of work to cruise to his season's fourth win. The Govs grabbed early leads in both ends of Saturday's doubleheader, but unfortunately dropped both. Friends of the pod Greg LeBan and Devin O'Donovan tossed four innings of four-hit, one-run ball in relief in Game 1, but the offense was never able to put together a sustained rally in Richmond. In an early midweek contest, Nolan Monahan took a no-hitter into the fifth of Monday's contest against Evansville, and the Govs cruised to a comfortable 10-2 win against the Purple Aces. Parker Phillips went two for four with a homer and four RBI, and Andrew Flaherty collected three hits, including a home run in the win. Over on the softball diamond last Thursday's midweek non-conference game against who other than North Alabama. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. favorite non-conference opponent. That game was canceled. The Govs went ahead um, into the weekend a little bit refreshed as they had to go and take on Jacksonville State, who has been at the top or near the top of the OVC for what seems like a very long time in softball. Um, the Govs were down a run with th- only three outs to play in the first game against the Gamecocks, but a little late-game magic transpired with Kelsey Gross, Carly Matson, and Lexi Osowski each collecting a hit to load the bases with nobody out before a Caitlin Smith single play to tie it, and then Drew Dudley hit a pitch into right field to score two and put the Govs ahead for the first time all game, and to the surprise of absolutely nobody, that was plenty enough for Morgan Rackle. She slammed the door in the final seventh inning to win her 15th game of this season and then earned the upper hand in a 
pretty old school pitchers, pitchers duel against Jacksonville State's number one, Faith Sims. Uh, in game two, Matson had two hits, but the Govs couldn't get a run, but still it's a split against a team that you had lost 11 straight games to over the past, you know, I guess, five years or so. It, it's been a minute. Um, so that's obviously a step in the right direction. Um, and then Tuesday, the Govs uh, came home and hosted Murray State in a, a rare midweek uh, doubleheader, um, for, for conference play at least. Um, in game one, 10 Austin P hits, and then three Murray State errors gave the game to the Govs. Daniel Learman homering, and then Rackle retired nine of the last 10 batters she faced to secure another W. But in game two, the Govs earned an early lead, but again, or not again, but the, the Racers came from behind uh, after a three-hit game three-hit game from Jensen Striegel and an early two-run single from Lily Goats helped the Racers salvage a split. So you go two and two on the weekend, but you take a, you know, a game on the road from a team you haven't beaten in five or six years. And then while, yes, you'd like to win every game at home, especially against your arch rival, Murray State was 7-1 and one in the OVC coming in. So two and two, obviously, you, you, you always want to get ahead of the 500 naturally, but for the cloud of opponents, you know, I Two and two is a respectable weekend. Not just the toughest conference weekend by anybody last weekend. Maybe the toughest just from the two opponents that anybody's going to face this season. Men's golf endured a rough day one weather-wise and movement all over the leaderboard in day two, but survived and emerged with a top five finish at the Ryman Hospitality Intercollegiate at Nashville's Richland Country Club. I assume that a place called Richland is going to be fairly highfalutin, but this was opulence I'm unfamiliar with at a golf course. Like, it was very white paneled walls and brass pots for tea or coffee or water just kind of stationed around. I was I was out of my element. The guys wound up in fifth with a 587, with third through eighth in the field separated by a total of seven strokes. Chase Cordy and Austin Lancaster put together top 20 finishes, Cordy with a final day eagle to help himself, and the Govs earned their fifth top five team finish of the 2018-19 season. The men's tennis team had a had a rough go of it. They took on Tennessee Tech, the defending OVC champions, uh, at home, and unfortunately came away with a um, a pretty pretty you know uh, you, you hate to to classify defeats as bad, but you know it, it was a shutout win for uh, the Golden Eagles. Um, the girls really couldn't get anything going. Christian Edison took his opponent to three sets, um, and then lost the third set, unfortunately, in a super tie break. But that was about only all the success that the the Govs had. Uh, Almonte Sozelis, um played the number one preseason OVC ranked player in freshman Rafael Tosetto. A competitive match, but Tosetto ended up winning in straight sets as Tennessee Tech now improves to 2-1 in the OVC. The Govs fall to 1-2. On the links for the women's golf team, Megan Stamp sank a team-high 34 pars, but the Govs scuffled to a 12th place finish at the Jan Weaver Invitational in Murray, Kentucky. The individuals made the lineup decisions for head coach Amy McCollum heading into the OVC championships pretty tough. Uh, Shelby Darnell and Ashton Goodley both performed well enough that much remains up in the air ahead of the OVC championships next week. For the women's tennis team, again, they just kept on rolling. Wins against Southeast Missouri on Friday and then UT Martin on Saturday, and it was it's been an historic season so far, and it was literally a record-breaking weekend as Tatiana Lopez and Hanoka Nakanishi set the program record that we talked about uh, last week with their 10th straight doubles win in the 7-0 drubbing of SEMO. They eventually extended it to 11 with another win at number one doubles 
against UT Martin. Uh, and in what some would call a very stunning turn of events, the Govs actually gave an opponent a point this time. They actually dropped the match against UT Martin, winning 6-1 instead of 7-0. Uh, unfortunately, Claudia Anas Garcia suffered her first um, singles defeat, ending her 15 overall match singles winning streak. But, you know, it, it, it was pretty dominant up and down the line again for the Govs. Uh, Helena Kupik now has a 12-match winning streak in singles, which is good for sixth all-time in Austin B. History. And that was the uh, Yanis Garcia's um, loss, who was against a player who was the now the OVC Player of the Week for this week and is undefeated in OVC singles this season. And that was the only blemish, as now Austin P is only one of two unbeaten women's tennis teams in the entire country, the only other team to be unbeaten, the number one team in the NCAA, which is Georgia. Yeah, I feel like we're doing Mad Libs with the women's tennis recap each week at this point. Yeah. Well, they won, obviously, uh, by how much uh, this person swept. It's just, it, it's it's become rote, and that's, you hate to say that about something that's been so amazing, but their dominance has been so complete that it's hard to find little nuggets to make the week-to-week -week any different. On the track and in the field, that's a weird way to say that, Bowling Green continues to be kind to the governors at the Hilltopper Relays. Uh, sophomore Lennox Walker won the 100-meter hurdles and hit 5.75 meters in the long jump, a personal best. Freshman Kyra Wilder moved into second in the OVC in the 200-meter dash with a win, her second individual victory as a governor. Nia Gibbs-Francis not only hit a personal best 1.70 meters, she can now officially jump higher than her actual height. She also placed fifth in her first ever 400-meter hurdle attempt. Uh, the senior perhaps becoming a some, someone to look at at the conference level, maybe, to pick up a surprising 400-meter hurdles point. I mean, that's not uh, an event that you typically just kind of fall out of bed and into a top five finish yeah. for a lot of people take years yeah, to, especially in a collegiate level yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of people take years to master that skill and yeah yeah i'll try out the 400 meter hurdles and finish fifth uh the guys won the four by one and four by 400 meter relays at the hilltopper relays with the four by 100 quartet taking over the ovc lead in the sand, the Govs split an ace on weekend in Conway, South Carolina, defeating Jacksonville State twice, but then uh, unfortunately losing two against the host, uh, Coastal Carolina. Um, the Sierra Coons and Brooke Moore duo won both matches on court three against the Gamecocks and then forced a third set in Saturday's contest against the Chanticleers, one of my favorite That's the best. My, yeah. um, one of my favorite nicknames for any single NCAA um, team. We should probably let me find out what the best nicknames are and for NCAA sports teams because Chanticleers has to be up there. Oh, well, we have a we, – we'll do a mini bracket next week on the pod then for sports NCAA Division Division One. You want to do Division One? I, I mean, whatever if, sounds good is good to me. I don't if, know. if we get down to, like, Division Three, there's some wild nicknames <laughs> down there. On Wednesday, the Govs swept UT Martin in a doubleheader, winning 4-1 and 3-2. Coons and Moore once again winners, this time on court two in both matches. And then Haley Turner and Jenna Panning also picking up wins, both at court one. The spring football game went off on Saturday last week. And while you don't want to get too high or too low on anything you saw at Fortero on Saturday, there were some pretty good takeaways. The offense seems to be in pretty decent shape, helmed by Jeremiah Oatesvall at quarterback. D'Angelo Williams uh, – or, excuse me, D'Angelo Williams. That's 
Not right. NFL player. <laughs> yep, retired yeah. NFL player, former Memphis Tiger. D'Angelo Wilson, member of the governor's football team, had four catches, 87 yards, and a touchdown, and proved he can still scoot. So can Kentel Williams, who had a 68-yard catch and run for a score. Expect quite a bit of Jack McDonald next year on the defensive side of the football. The former tight end turned linebacker led everyone in attendance with seven tackles. Uh, great atmosphere, a lot of fun. I, I thought that the uh, alumni game was pretty interesting and also harrowing at the same time because you can tell that, that some of those guys were still in pretty amazing shape. The guys who were, you know, two, three years removed from it, some of those guys had not done competitive sporting in a while, <laughs> and you could tell. Uh, but it, it was great to see people coming back. Appreciate everyone who came out to see what the guys have been working on all spring. And uh, up next, we'll talk to one of those guys who have been hitting it hard all spring. Kyle Anderton of the football team Sunday joins us as this week's guest right after this. It's difficult to recall now, but there was a time when Kyle Anderton wasn't one of the cornerstones of the Austin P football program. But his larger-than-life personality and zest for fun have made him an integral member not only of the football program, but in athletics as a whole. And he's consented to be asked ridiculous questions for a little while today. Kyle, how you doing? Doing all right. How are you? So, just knowing you a little bit and reading back through your profile, one thing stuck out to me, and I wanted to uh, ask about it first. You were a high school quarterback. Yes. And defensive end. Yes. How I don't know many. I've known plenty. I've known plenty of two-way players at the high school level. I've not known many with those two particular positions. Uh, well, I mean, in our defense, it was it wasn't too hard. I just had to contain. I was long. I was the biggest dude on the team, so most of the time they ran away from me. My brother was a D tackle. He was just two inches shorter. And he was the dude on defense. I was the dude on offense. I was the Anderton on offense. He was the Anderton on defense. So, I mean, it wasn't too bad, especially for a 50 defense. You started your collegiate career at Vanderbilt, and you converted from quarterback to tight end. What was that conversion like? Uh, not too not, not, uh, not too bad. I mean, I was, I'm decently smart at football. <laughs> other people can contest in, in other areas of my life. But uh, football comes easy to me. My dad was a coach and mom was a coach. So, wasn't too bad. You just got to run and catch a ball instead of drop back and pass a ball. So, how'd you find, How did you find that you measured up against SEC competition? Uh, I was definitely <laughs> not necessarily measuring up pretty good. I could compete. Uh, as you can say, like, I caught a touchdown. I played in several games. My sophomore year, coming back from an injury, was a little bit different. But I have a feeling that if I, if I had a better experience there and if I gave it all I had, that I could have been a – a regular player, maybe not a starter, star player, but I could have been a regular player. What ultimately led to the decision to transfer? Uh, just me being unhappy there. Uh, college football, especially when you don't treat it as a hobby, when you need to treat it as a job, more or less, uh, you need to love it, absolutely love it. And just my sophomore year, I was not, I was not in tune. 
uh, to where the program was going and such, and I wasn't holding up my end of the deal on some things. So I love football. I wanted to keep playing it. So for me to do that, I had to leave. I was not going to quit football, so I had to find a new home, and luckily I did. You mentioned your dad being a coach. He was your coach at Station Camp, wasn't he? Oh, uh, he was O line coach. It wasn't mine specifically, but yes, he did coach that. Oh, so you you kind of dodged that bullet a little bit, but being coached directly by him. Well, I mean, he was still there in my ear a lot, but yeah, <laughs> directly, absolutely. He also played at UT Martin, didn't he? Yes, sir. Did he? Or was there any consideration on your end from going to UT Martin? Uh, there was a consideration for me to go in a lot of places, um, anywhere that was willing to offer a scholarship. Uh, that was a good fit. And Martin, I've sent my letter to Martin, sent my letter to Tennessee Tech, sent my letter to here, sent the letter to everywhere that we knew coaches that were available, just really anywhere that was in within the southeast that was close enough to have my family involved and uh, just ended up here. Yeah, you, you come from a big family. How many siblings? Uh, in total, around ten. Wow. Yeah. Um, what are the pros and cons of the huge family? Uh, well, I mean, they're not all blood. Uh, we've had some steps, but we treat them like blood. They're awesome. Uh, Christmas, <laughs> Christmas is difficult because you got to split it up, but uh, we usually keep it. We do a good job. My mom's side's in North Carolina, so at one part of Christmas, if it's not Christmas Day, it's before or right after. Um, we're down there having a great tradition, and then uh, when we're up here, uh, it's crazy. We have dirty sand and the things a lot. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's definitely difficult, but I mean, we make it work. Uh, I keep in contact with a lot of them. So, uh, your mom and your dad both had experience at the collegiate level, right? Yes, sir. How much did their experience at the, at the upper levels, particularly your dad's with football, help as you made decisions about your career? Um, really, he never really pressed me to go anywhere, which was the big thing. I mean, he always joked around. He said, if Vanderbilt ever offers, I'm kicking you out the door because, you know, their education. But look at him. <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> but, um, I mean, my mom, uh, she played basketball and volleyball. So when I was playing basketball, like, I was decent in it. Because of her, she taught me to drop step way early in life. Uh, my dad, uh, he really helped us. He didn't know a lot about my position as a quarterback or my brothers as a defensive end or such. So, I mean, uh, he took us to camps to get us that knowledge. He knew enough people. He said that if you go and work and you take what they tell you and you work on it, that you'll get somewhere. So, I mean, he was able just to keep us calm, keep us grounded and say, if you're not working, you're not going to get anywhere. Uh, and he, he didn't try to overcoach. He said, if y'all want to do this, do this. He said, if y'all don't, I'm not forcing y'all. And that was the big thing for us. What led to the decision to come to Austin P? Um, took a visit. Uh, Healy, our previous head coach, said, you know, make me make you say no. Because all I knew of Austin P was, again, not good. Um, the same thing everybody knew. At the yeah. Time. I mean, I didn't know too much. Like, me and my dad, when we go, he'd have the Ghost of the Gridirons alumni way back, you know, homecoming at Martin. So we'd always come by Austin P and check out the stadium because he knew that it was new and – he would say, yeah, I'll play it over there, ha-ha, like what old players do. Um, but I was dead set on going to Chattanooga. My brother was playing at the time. He's a year younger. Uh, I had a uh, companion that was down there at the time. So, I mean, if their away games were closer to my mom. So it seemed like a no-brainer. Uh, but then their coaching staff changed, and uh, some things were a little iffy, and I was like, this, eh, should I go there? That'd be an easy choice. That'd be 
you know, comfortable. Uh, then I came up here on a visit, uh, met Coach Ely, met Coach Ergel, and a lot of the coaching staff, and met some of the guys, and I was like, this feels different. Then I came back up for some more spring practices, and I was like, dude, I can see myself being here. Chose it and haven't looked back. You get here, and how quickly are you trying to get assimilated to the offensive line? Well, for the first month, I was a 290-pound tight end. <laughs> so it was a little, little different, but it wasn't bad. I mean, we were always joking. I lived with three of them, uh, which I think was a plot to make sure I didn't lose any weight. Um, we have some conspiracy theories about that. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I was able to mix well with them. I, I always get joked around with, joked at, you know, so – I mean, I just took it on the chin, was feeling my way. Then I started saying some jokes back, and then we got closer, and then they moved me to offensive line, and I had to compete to get a spot. And it was still 50-50 until, like, the fourth game of the year. So, I mean, I worked hard, uh, tried to be a good friend, a good teammate. Uh, I ended up helping. So, I mean, it wasn't too hard, especially with the guys that we have O-line. If you're a hard worker and you don't cause any trouble, it's really hard not to get assimilated with. Making that switch from tight end to the offensive line, that's your dad's wheelhouse. Was he able to kind of help you along as you were still getting your feet under you? Um, no, nah, I I mean, he was happy about it for sure because he coaches O-line and stuff, and we've talked about it. But me playing quarterback in high school and understanding where people were going and then tight ends just a lighter, more versatile tackle. And at Vandy, uh, I learned a lot of great techniques and uh, blocking so, I mean, it wasn't too hard. My dad kind of stayed out because my dad understands that, you know, I already have a coach that's getting paid to do what he's doing. And Ergel, for me, being a first-time tackle was absolutely amazing. And then uh, Coach Morrissey, now our O-line coach, is taking, like, the foundation that was laid and just adding some really good stuff on top of it. So, I I've lucked out with the coaches I've had. But um, I've already I already had a decent, decent uh, base under me just from Vandy and – do footwork and playing basketball, playing football, playing different positions really just helps your feet learn new things quicker. That's interesting. I never really thought about the basketball aspect of it, but mm -hmm. to be a bigger guy and have that basketball background makes you very nimble, makes you very light on your feet. I wouldn't say nimble, but <laughs> it, hey, it, hey, it hey, helps. I'll, it. I'll, I'll say it. I'll put <laughs> it out there. Um, talk a little bit about your first season and everything that went into that. It was crazy. Um I think I started, or I didn't know if I started the first game. Uh, but me and uh, DJ were fighting through. He goes some series, I go some series. Uh, playing, I think we played Cincinnati the first game, didn't we? Yeah. And we were in that game, and looking back at the film, it is awful. I it's just first time playing tackle. Uh, wasn't too bad, but was definitely. I've come a long way from film. Not nowhere close to being there yet, but I've come a long way. But it was crazy, like you. You're nervous if you like the position, if you're good enough to go against uh, bigger, better people, things like that. And like that was just a, a, a affirmation that, you know, I could do this if I worked at it. Like I could be a decent tackle if I hustled and gave it all. And then go play Miami of Ohio, which those two back-to-back -back were the worst road trips ever that I've taken. And then uh, come back, play Moorhead State was absolutely uh, unreal. Uh, I just I just like running around. That year we were still able to cut downfield, which I think attributes to my like all conference my first year second team, because I just run down the field and cut 
if I mean I had I'd work hard at the line, but if I was downfield, I was throwing somewhere, and I think that hustle helped me out a lot. But I mean, it was just really like an unreal experience just to come and be a part of something that you don't know if they're going to be any good or not, but you're here and you're working and you're hoping. And then it exceeds working. every expectation. Yes, it exceeds, and then you have to live up to it, and then some people leave, and then you don't know, and then the second season comes, and you're like, what in the world happened? So, I mean, I, I've loved it. It's been a roller coaster. I've learned a lot. Uh, but that first year was just absolutely amazing, for sure. Last year, the injury to step back, I think, and, you know, ex- we had expectations for the first time in forever. Yes, of the football program. Do you feel like now, because of the new redshirt rule, you're going to get another chance to do something special here again? Uh, absolutely. I think last year um, we had a lot of talent, and we had we have good leaders. We still have good leaders. Like, I was a, technically a leader last year. I think that with all that talent, I think we were a little bit too, too uh, conscious of people's feelings in my eyes. I think that we wanted to keep the talent feeling good. Um, now, Coach, I was like, Coach Ergo and O-line, like we were always on each other, things like that. But as a whole, as leaders, as I think as captains, we didn't step up enough. I think if we would have done better as leaders, not saying we're bad leaders, but if we'd have done a little better, the outcome would have been a little different. I honestly do think that. Um, what do you mean different? When you, when you talk about the leadership, is it an accountability factor? Or is it just tightening things up across the board? Uh, accountability, we had a little issues with that last year uh, from players. Uh, but when when you have four great – we had, you had three great offensive players uh, – I mean defensive players. You had like Gunner, J. Will, and uh, Oos as defensive captain. I was the offensive captain last year. Uh, but when you uh, – as a captain, when the final straw is done, you have to stand up and – you know, the term alpha male, like, you come at me, I'm your captain. If you have something to say about it, then you, you hash it out. And I don't think we as leaders did a good enough job of making people rise to the standard that we had expected or rise to the expectations. Is that something where you need to address it in the locker room to make sure it doesn't happen again? Oh, uh, yes. I mean, I think that the leaders that we have now learn that. I think that the new coaching stuff, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you got to learn a lot of new things. But – I think it's so good that we have so many leadership guys in those positions that learned it last year that are able to nip it in the bud this year. Now, we're not anywhere near there or, you know, ready, but I think that as leaderships, we've learned a key thing last year as being team leaders. And so I think this year uh, we'll be better at that for sure. Do you feel like last year goes a little differently if you don't go down, or more broadly, if the team just had better injury luck across the board? Uh, not really. I don't. I don't claim that uh, my injuries made a big part of it. I just play one part of the offensive line, and Seth Johnson did an amazing job last year coming in. Seth Johnson's literally a utility offensive lineman. He can do everything. Maybe not snap the best, but he can do everything. He he knows it all. Uh, last year he came in perfect. Uh, Chuck kind of got injured, so you had a freshman, uh, Kilby. He came in. Um, he still has a lot of learning to do, but to play as a freshman like he did, uh, I think he did as best as he could, and he did really good. Uh, so I don't think from an offensive line standpoint it would have made a difference. I mean, we only gave up gave up less than 10 sacks, I believe, had top rushers again. Uh, we just, as a team, 
did not perform like we needed to. So me being injured, I think, is irrelevant to how we finished last year. How much does it suck to rehab and work out while the season's going on and your teammates are lining up to play every Saturday? Uh, it, it, it definitely is not fun, especially being in a leadership position where you have to be encouraging, uh, have to say things that, I mean, you know and you've experienced because you played it, but when you're not going through practice, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Like, it's just honest. And I've done it to people who are hurt. And, you know, we joke around. Like, I'd say, hey, do this. And then uh, Ryan, Rock and Seuss, Big Rock would say, Cole, you're not even practicing. Don't even say anything. So, I mean, they they joked around with me about that. And But during games, I mean, I had an amazing opportunity to serve them. When it was hot games, I had them fresh cold towels, water, encouraging. I knew the offense, so I was trying to help Seth, help Kilby. Uh, I mean, it just gave me a perspective to step back and like really appreciate what I had been doing. Uh, but then again, it gave me an amazing opportunity to get better uh, this year and to be a part of something. So it definitely sucks to rehab and everything while everybody's practicing and being a part of something. But I mean, I got to do a different role. So it was a, definitely a learning experience. Tell me about the $40 Riverside Fast Food Challenge. <laughs> uh, we haven't done it yet. We have rules and regulations. <laughs> But uh, when Seth Johnson for the talent show ate a Happy Meal in 20 seconds, we were like, dude, we got to get some challenges. And at the second semester of uh, the eight and four season, in the off season, uh, we were just trying some food challenges. Hey, how fast can you eat that? Hey, how fast can you eat that? And then one day we were just sitting around like, let's make a challenge. And so we're sitting in a calf and we're naming down deals. So at McDonald's, if you're a student, you buy one, get one free type deal. So. We were like, all right, let's start with Taco Bell because they had a good box. I forgot what it was, but it was a good box. The $5 fill-up box? Yeah, it was, but it was a good one. Like, they're a little bit off right now, but it was a, I think it was a cheesy gordita one. Oh, best one, I think. Uh, so they had that going. So you had to go get a box. You had to go to cookout, get a cookout tray. And you had to go to McDonald's. And at the time, it was a uh, double quarter pounder with cheese, and then they let you get 20 nuggets. Now they don't let you get 20 nuggets, but at the time, it was that and 20 nuggets. And after that, you go get the meat mountain at Arby's. And after that, go get a four for four. And I think Sonic, you got a shake. Something like that. It ended up, I think we added Burger King late. But it all amounted to about $40. And there was times where we almost did it. Um, but we ended up not doing it uh, for right now. But they come up. Rock and uh, Byron come up. And Ethan Self will come up soon. And I think when we all get back together, it's going to go down. But. We just made it for fun. We made some serious rules and regulations. Uh, I think it was a two or three hour uh, limit hour you had to do it within. So, I mean, we had some pretty good, cool ideas. Uh, but you got to implement that. I mean, I think we might. Uh, I mean, a lot of the guys still know it. We made it rules when they were here. Uh, but just a little bit, uh, just a tad bit different vibe right now. I mean, we still hang out. I mean, as offensive line, we hang out all the time. Uh, right now we're playing tag. We have a tag game. I'm, I'm it right now. Like the traditional children's game of tag. Oh, we're grown-ups now. Well, they You're grown-ups playing tag. But they, well, they know, made a movie about But, yeah, we have rules. Like you can't tag when we're playing football or at the facility. You can't tag in a car. Um, no, that's called running over another person. Well, yeah, no. I mean, really, like, like – Oh, like everybody sitting in the car. Yeah, so, okay. like, so it's like if you're running away from somebody and you jump in the car, they can't tag you. So car's a safe haven. Football's a safe haven. I think we can't do it in our apartment either because it's such a confined space and it doesn't make sense. But if you see somebody walking across campus, 
<laughs> you just run and tackle. It's it's pretty good right now. Um, now we've kept that tradition going. We did play that last year with the the guys who graduated. So I mean, we've done a pretty good job of keeping some fun around. So. Um, Okay, so tell me about your uh, Tinder profile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, we can we can use this part as kind of a personals ad, I guess. Oh, I guess, yeah. It's a it's it's a joke to say the least. I, you know, when you get around a bunch of guys and you hang out for a while, hey man, why don't you make a Tinder profile? I said, all right, sure. And then <laughs> we said you should put something about Pepsi because you love Pepsi. I was like, all right, so I put Pepsi over everything. Uh, tell them about the our cruise. Something about the cruise I had. Sold my sombrero for like two or three times more than I bought it for. Uh, and me and the guys got some snacks. <laughs> so, I mean, I put some funny stuff in there, some funny pictures. I have a, a crop top Pepsi shirt I put in there. And my figure, I should probably never wear a crop top <laughs> ever uh, with some jorts. I have jorts on because that was my fall camp outfit last year. So, I mean, it's just a joke. It's, it's funny. I mean, if anybody swipes, I tell them, hey, it's just a joke. But, I mean, you know, if I go on a date, I go on a date, see how it goes. But I'm not using it. I'm not on it every day, that's for sure. I got too much going on. But uh, keep the joke going, keep traditions, something to look back on. So, <laughs> All right. That was the easy part. Let's do a little bit of rapid-fire stuff. All right. What's your favorite word? Favorite word? <laughs> that, that you can say into that mic without getting me in trouble. Oh, you're right. Uh, God. I say freaking. I say freaking a lot. Uh, cause you know, try to wash my mouth a couple times, they'll let it fly. But I think freaking, freaking works. What's your least favorite word? Running. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Who or what inspires you? Uh, I guess my dad and my mom for the most part. Uh, I mean, I, I I think I get inspired just by getting up and being able to do what I love. But I mean, if you have to look back on people, that's the people I'm doing it for. What is the last book you read for fun? Mind Jim. My mom, M-I-N-D, and then Jim. I sometimes think people say I'm saying mine. But uh, my mom wrote it to me when I first went to college. I read a little bit of it first semester, then didn't touch it for a while, then I got it back. I read it through. It just helps you um, just strengthen your mind. Yes, you work on your body all the time, but people forget that your mind's important. And so she wrote me a little encouraging note that mothers do. And I read it. Gotcha. What's your worst habit? Worst <laughs> Probably Pepsi. <laughs> Most likely right now as a college student, I'll probably drink too much soda. But that and napping. Tell you no, that. no, napping is not a bad napping habit at all. It is a bad habit. I need to get out of it. I mean, I'm up early and I do things and my day's full. But I probably nap a little too much. No, nah, no such thing. <laughs> You'll miss it when you get in the workforce, believe me. For sure. What's the most terrifying situation you've ever found yourself in? Oh, gosh. Oh, it was a snake. I don't do snakes. And I'd found a snake. My mom, so we were in a, we were in North Carolina. Uh, my grandparents lived just in the foothills, so we're about an hour away from Pisgah National Forest. And we went up to Slide Rock and run through some creeks. And my mom says a snake, and I don't do snakes. I do not do snakes. And I'm holding, we had a miniature Dotson that we brought with us. Her name's Sunshine. She passed away two years ago, R.I.P. But uh, I was holding her while going around some rocks, and my mom said snake. And when she said snake, she laughed so hard when she told me the story. But when she said snake, I turned around so quick and was already halfway down where we had walked before she even started rocking. And right before I got to the edge, I slipped on a rock, 
it hit my side and took the breath out. But my, my dog didn't get wet. <laughs> but I snakes, I do not do snakes. Uh, I've been, been around a couple of those a couple of times. What's your idea of happiness? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, just being with people you like hanging out with. Uh, if you're in a car, like I used to live in South Carolina, so like on 72-degree days, you'd have the windows up. You'd clean the house just for a minute because your mom told you to. And Judge Judy was playing at that day and age. I don't know if it still is, but country music playing, chilling. Uh, hopefully I have a dog, have some good people to hang out with. That would be my idea. What's your idea of misery? Running again. <laughs> don't like to run. No. What makes you self-conscious? Uh, I'd say just like comparing myself to other people. So, uh, so Sometimes you do that, and uh, I read a good quote that says, once you understand that you'll never understand me, then you'll start to understand things. So um, I just took that, and I've run with it a couple of times. I stopped comparing myself to other players. Like, now you see the greats, and you don't – you want to be like them. You want to take their technique and stuff, but you never want to compare yourself or overhype somebody. So I think in sports, and sometimes I compare myself to other people when, you know, I'm a decent dude. I may not be the best out there, but I'm decent. So I think that's probably one of those things. What's the most embarrassing song that you love? So I turned 22 last year. I'm 23. I'm old. But uh, I listened to Taylor Swift 22 the whole day. <laughs> it was amazing. How would you prefer to die? Uh, quick and easy. I don't know. I, I hope I'm doing something so cool. Like what? I couldn't tell you, but either that or I don't know. I prefer not to think about that question. But <laughs> uh, something cool, you know, maybe like, I mean, Steve Irwin died with a cool, you know, helping animals. Uh, that was a pretty cool way to go out or something like Evil Knievel type thing. Just don't want to lay there, though. You yeah. Know? If you were reincarnated, what would you like to come back as and why? Oh, gosh. That's a good one. Uh, like as a person or just as anything? Anything. Oh, probably a bald eagle. You can fly. Kind of a bad A, you know. It's illegal to hunt you. Yeah, illegal to hunt you, and, like, you're the face of America. Think about that. That's a good one. And people joke that I'm already going bald, so just <laughs> keep that going. <laughs> what might prompt you to lie? Definitely if I knew I was doing something I wasn't supposed to. Uh, white lies. I tell my mom a couple white lies when she wants to know the answers, a couple things. Like, she'll ask me, hey, Kyle, what'd you do this? I said, yeah, I did it when I haven't done it yet. But, you know, it gets done. Uh but I mean, I try not to lie too much. So I don't. I, I, honestly, I don't really lie too bad, actually. But if I was prompted to lie, I'd probably be trying to keep things away from my mom or dad. What makes you hopeful? Uh, oh, I'm I'm pretty excited, like for my future, as in just like football, as in growing as a person, friends, family, job opportunities. Uh, I'm pretty hopeful about that. I think. Uh, the Lord has given me some opportunities that I could be nothing other than thankful and hopeful for. So I'm just pretty excited about my future and like and my present day. I don't know. I'm just in a good situation right now where, you know, hopeful is a, is a good word to use. What's our purpose in life? Our purpose? Everybody's. What do uh, we put here to do? Uh, I guess just affect others in a positive way. I guess it's hard to explain because – you got to understand harmony before you ask that question and other people, you know, have different 
aspects of what har- like harmonious living is. But I think if everybody, we wouldn't, wouldn't have to have rules or regulations if everybody understood that. But then again, way back when, you know, we lost that privilege. So I think people in life are meant to put positive uh, images and positive energy towards other people, make them feel that they're welcome. Maybe not needed because some people aren't needed in certain situations. I, I hate when people <laughs> say you always need to feel needed. Well, I don't need an ambulance if I'm eating food right now. Now, if I have a heart attack, I'll call you. But uh, I just think everybody needs to feel like like they have a purpose as like just being a positive positive impact in somebody's life. You say you're hopeful about your future. What do you think is waiting you as, as far as your future job, NFL? Uh, I'd hope something good, you know. I'm hoping to find me a sugar mama one day. That's the main oh, goal. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the dream <laughs> there. Um, I mean, for me to go to the NFL, I'm trying for it. Like, Byron Glass and Ryan have worked incredibly hard this past semester. We've talked and kept in touch. Uh, they've had a couple of pro days, and I really think Byron Glass should be should be in the NFL. He has unbelievable work ethic and uh, footwork, and Ryan pretty much the same way. Uh, but me, for me to – to be conscientious of the NFL, I'd have to have a really good season this year. I mean, it's only my third year playing tackle. I've come off of two shoulder surgeries. I'm a realist in that aspect that if I do what I'm supposed to do and play really well, I'll have a shot. But I really love football, and I love, like, the coaching aspect of it. Like, my mom and dad are both coaches, so I hope something in my future uh, requires you to NFL coaching. Uh, but really want to, you know, start having my life hashed out and find the someone that you really want to live with the rest of your life and things of that nature. So I'm 23. I'm two years from a quarter of a century. So you start figuring some things out about my life. I have a feeling you'll probably get it all put together before too much longer. I should. I should. Well, Kyle, I appreciate you taking the time today. A lot of fun. Thanks for coming. No Big thanks to Kyle Anderson for coming in this week. Love having our football players in. Uh, Kyle, obviously, is a very interesting dude anyway with a lot of thoughts and a lot of opinions on a wide variety of subjects. As we look forward to next week, it's officially the start of championship season. But first, nine events in Clarksville for the Ghosts this week. So a great opportunity to see your sport of choice. Beginning on the baseball diamond over at Raymond C. Ham Park. The Govs host Moorhead State to take on one of the league's top teams. Moorhead State leads the league in hitting with a 316 team batting average, which is understandable considering the bizarrely configured stadium they play home games in. More surprising to see is Moorhead State's staff ERA just north of four. The Govs remain one of the OVC's elite pitching staffs, and David Martinez is still raking close to 400, but this will be a tough one for the boys this weekend at Raymond Seaham Park and Maynard Stadium. For the softball team, they are on the march west. They go to SEMO and UT Martin for this portion of the schedule. Um, you know, Jacksonville State has you know pretty much been the measuring stick by which this league, um, I guess, measures itself. But SEMO 
It's now coming in at eight and two in the OVC and thirty and nine overall. And for it seems like what, softball just started like a month ago, and you already got a team with thirty wins <laughs> on the board. But um, they're thirty and nine heading into the weekend. But they've only played three games at home the entire season. So maybe it's a little advantage for the Govs even because you know they opened with a what twenty something game road stretch. Um, they have a SEMA has a trio of Rachel Anderson and Michaela Ardanes. I sure. I probably butchered that might, one. Um, might be. She's probably not listening. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Ashley Ellis. They might be one of the toughest offensive trios in the league outside of the one-woman wrecking crew of Danielle Learman. And whoever happens to be batting around Learman at the time is can pretty much rival um, the three that SEMO have. But it's going to be up to the pitching to try to shut down um, the SEMO batters. But there could be lots of offense in this one based on the statistics and um, the the past history that these, um, especially the four that I mentioned by name, have shown. Um, going against into uh, UT Martin, the Skyhouse have lost three straight and five of their last seven at home, but they're still at seven and five in the conference and 25 and 17 overall. So they're obviously, they obviously know how to play the game of softball. It's not like they're just going to be ran over by, you know, like the tennis teams going over, women's tennis team going over every single opponent they play. But, um, an interesting stat on Martin, they like to steal bases, and they like to do that very often. Um, they lead the league with 99 stolen bases this year, so Carly Matson, who uh, will be behind the plate, likely busy um, trying to contain the uh, UT Martin base runners. The OVC Women's Golf Championships kick off Monday in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, the same site as the 2018 event. The Govs placed fourth here a year ago with a program record 301 in the final round, the program's best 18-hole showing in OVC tournament play. Reagan Green and Megan Stapps Megan Stamps both placed in the top 10 here a year ago and will be on the hunt for an all-tournament bid this season. As mentioned before, the women's tennis team is only one of two unbeaten teams left in NCAA Division One women's tennis, and, you know, no offense to Eastern Illinois or SOUE, but I can't really see that. I can't really see the Govs coming back to Clarksville with one or two losses on the record after this little road trip. Um, to be fair to SIUE, especially, they have improved. SIUE, for a pretty decent stretch, was a pretty decent team in the OVC. Last year, they went 0-20. Did not win a single match. Uh, this year, they are doing a lot better. I think they're 6-10, 1-3 in the OVC. So, obviously, it's a transitional period for SIUE, but again, I don't think they're going to have any pr problem like the Govs won't got I don't think I have a lot of problems last year in Clarksville the Govs won 7-0 um they had you had two of those players in singles win 6-0 6-0 for the Govs and then two other players at least win a set 6-0 so overall you had um six 6-0 sets against SIUE last year in singles um for EIU they are one of the dark horse teams if you can even consider a dark horse team win the Austin Peay's. I'm not. The, can, I, yeah. I will, we're not hearing any dark horse teams right now. They're two and two in the conference. A decent record. I think it's eleven and seven overall, or somewhere around that. Um, they they defeated Tennessee State uh, in their last weekend, but then came up short against Belmont. So um, the Govs are confident. They're rolling, undefeated. You got players on win streaks. You got players breaking records. It's going to be hard for the Govs not to get two wins up here in Illinois. Man, I hope you didn't jinx them. <laughs> uh, 
Track and field, the annual home event, takes place this weekend. Now a Friday-only collegiate event. Inclement weather already playing havoc with the weekend. Uh, that was recently announced. Uh, more information on letsgop.com, including all the uh, the scheduling changes and everything else. Uh, will be senior day for a host of Govs, including Nia Gibbs-Francis, who earned top five finishes in the high jump and triple jump at last season's event. Tamitha Tolbert broke the school record in the 100-meter dash here at her home event last season. It was the mark that ultimately got her qualification for the 2018 NCAA East Regional, and she will look to repeat that feat again this season. The men's tennis team will also head up to Illinois alongside the women. Only one match for the men. They play EIU this week. Uh, it's going to be a middle-of-the-pack battle. Both teams coming at 1-2 and two in the OVC. Um, and based on what's going on with the top three in the OVC, which is Jacksonville State, uh, Belmont, and Tennessee Tech, and then Tennessee State at the bottom, you could very well see this matchup again in a couple of weeks in Nashville for the OVC tournament. Um, it's you know A win would be great, but again, in terms of seeding purposes, it's going to be very likely the top three I just said are going to be the top three. Tennessee State will be last, and then Austin P or EIU will be, will be four or five. So maybe not a lot to, to play for in terms of postseason seeding, but it's going to be good to um, get some confidence back under the, uh, the Govs' belt as they have um, dropped their last three matches. The final four matches of the regular season take place for beach volleyball right out in front of the Dunn Center this weekend with the Govs hosting the beach, Governor's Beach Bash Friday and Saturday. Austin will host Lincoln Memorial at noon and Carson Newman at 4 on Friday, then return to face EKU at 9 a.m. and Georgia State at 5 on Saturday. Jenna Panning and Haley Turner, who we've talked about quite a bit this season, could reach 17 victories as a duo this season uh, based on results this weekend. If they were to go 4-0, and they would reach 17 wins. Quite the accomplishment for Austin Peay's top duo in the sand. We have our usual stops for community service opportunities, Mana Cafe, Buddy Ball, Elementary School. Weekly opportunities are always there. Go see Haley Jacoby about those. Uh, Buddy Ball hoop season has about two weeks left as well if you want to get in on that. So a little extra incentive if, if uh, you're a basketball fan and also want to uh, get out there and help the community. So go see Haley Jacoby once again for all your community service opportunities. Not exactly a community service thing, but the 2019 ESPYs are just two weeks away as we speak today. Two weeks from today for the ESPYs, the annual award show honoring the best and the brightest in Austin P. Athletics. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can ask pretty much anybody in administration. Everybody's got some little part to play with this. Happy to tell you anything you need to know or anywhere you need to go. And advising is open now for summer and fall 2019. You need to meet with your advisor in order to register and Anything that you want is filling up fast. So for you guys that are a little bit older, only need a few more classes to graduate, get on that now. Get in touch and stay in touch with us via web and social media. Dylan, um, do that thing you do where you tell people where to go. Yeah, you might as well just play. You might as well just record me saying this and then just put it at the end for, you know, less work for you. But anyway. <laughs> um, I'd, ha I'd have to split it apart every day. It's just, it'd be just a big thing. Just read the thing. Uh, you can find us at letsgop.com uh, on the internet, and then you can find us on social media. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't I, you can find us at letsgop.com on the internet. <laughs> well, I was going to go say the website, but I thought I just said website. I don't want to sound redundant. Some people also call it the World Wide Web. <laughs> 
www.letsgop.com. <laughs> but anyway, you can also find us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram uh, at Let's Go P. You can follow every single sports team that we have here at Austin P on Twitter as well. They have their own individual team handles. We have Taylor Wiseman and Tyler Davis getting, getting, us, getting us a lot of content out as spring sports are either about to have their championships or getting right into the thick of conference play. Let's go P.com for dates, news, and stories, as Dylan said. Dylan, Cody Bush, Stephan L.A., and myself doing stuff over there all day, every day. Uh, always something new to see over there, so go check it out. And since we got four baseball games coming up at home with the the series this weekend against Moorhead State and the midweek against uh, Southern Illinois, I think it is? I believe so, yes. Do uh, you need to go and bother them for some tickets? Because, well, they're going to give you what you need. You better come out and support the Govs. And you're going to need tickets to do that. So there's only two people that can help get you those, and you need to go talk to them. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, directly on the website at letsgopeak.com slash podcast. Give us a rating and review on the podcast, and if you'd like to suggest a guest, let us know of a local or on-campus event we should shout out. Find out what fashion tips I shared at the senior seminar on Wednesday. Tweet at us. I'm at CWilson225. He's at Dylan Schwartz. Love yourself. Love each other. Talk to you guys again next week.